0: Uh, Let me pray and we'll get uh, into that passage. Um, Father, thank you so much for um, your word. And Lord, thank you that it uh, teaches us and corrects us. It trains us in righteousness. um, And Lord, as we're going to see today, your word is actually a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that it would be that for us as we look at it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, many, many years ago, I was... uh, traveling through Kentucky, and my friends and I decided we were gonna go to Mammoth Cave. You guys know what Mammoth Cave is? It's like one of the largest underground cave systems in the world. And it's miles and miles and miles of just connected caves. And so you can do a tour of this. And uh, on the tour that we took, it actually takes us into, um, I think probably about the deepest part in the cave that you're allowed to go into. And you go into this cavern that they tell you is about the size of the Superdome. It's just massive. And we're standing in this cave, and the, the tour guide is telling us some of the stats about the cave and you know, the size of it and all that stuff. And, uh, and then he actually tells us, he goes, at this point, if we were to turn the lights off, uh, it would be so pitch black in here. You, if you put your hand literally in front of your face, you couldn't see it. And uh, so he finishes his spiel. He goes, Does you have any questions? And somebody asked a question about the difference between a stalagmite and a stalagmite. And he answered that. And then I put my hand up and I said, yeah, I have a question. Uh, I go, what would happen? Like, could you turn the lights off for us? He goes, I was hoping somebody would ask that. So he walks over and we're in this huge cave. It's literally like just a light switch on the wall. And he like flips the light switch. And the whole thing goes completely dark, like pitch black. And as we're standing there in this darkness, I had this feeling of just this great anxiety coming up in me. I didn't know where it was coming from, but I was just filled with this deep anxiety and this worry and this fear. And then all of a sudden, you hear just the flick of a, of a lighter uh, and as he lights a candle. And this one little teeny tiny candle uh, illuminates the whole cavern, like the thing the size of the Superdome, just illuminates the entire thing. It was extraordinary. Now, I want you just to think about that for a minute, because what did the darkness do? Well, the darkness, it induced fear and anxiety. We were all extremely uncomfortable. It actually brought opportunity for wickedness. You know, you could steal someone's wallet, and they wouldn't know it was you you could knock someone on the head and they wouldn't know that you did it. But then what did the light do? What did the light bring? Well, the light, it actually illuminated everything. The light brought instant comfort. It brought hope, it brought clarity, it brought direction. We could see the path out of the cave. It was actually the way to life and it also connected us to our fellow travelers once again. In other words, it brought fellowship and friendship. I could see my friends' faces again. I knew that they were there. It kept us from wickedness. It was an accountability to act in a righteous sort of way. And so light in the darkness is actually the antidote to death and to deception and to depression and to discord. And what we're talking about this month uh, and next month is the answer to the question, what is truth? What is truth? How do we know what truth is? Uh, and that's actually the question that the Roman governor asked Jesus near the end of John's gospel. And it's, that question is asked in order to sort of sum up the main theme, right? So he's asking, what is truth? And all through John's gospel, you find actually the, one of the main themes is what truth is. And that all through John's gospel, Jesus makes the multiple claims to, to not just know the truth, but to be the truth, that he is truth in the flesh. And what we said last week is that because Jesus made claims like this, that we have to either center our whole lives around him or we have to just dismiss him
1: entirely. It's it's either or. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Either he is the truth and everything he said is true or he's a liar.
0: And one of those truth claims is the one we're looking at today where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, light has always been a metaphor for truth because, of course, light always exposes the truth. But it does much more than that. It actually gives us life. It gives us joy. It gives us friendship, fellowship. And just think about those four things, truth,
1: life, joy, friendship. If you're lacking any of those, it probably means you're lacking light in
0: some way. And so what would it look like for Jesus Christ to be the light In other words, the truth, guiding your life, giving you life and truth and joy and friendship. And so that's what we're talking about today when Jesus Christ says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And much like last week, we're going to be zooming in specifically on just this one verse. And then we'll use the context of the passage to help us interpret and apply it. So we're just really going to focus on that one verse uh, we'll do it in three parts. So part one, where and when Jesus said it. Part two, what he said. And part three, why did he say it? So where did he say it? When did he say it? What did he say? And why did he say it? And looking at those three things, they're going to help us to know what it would look like for Jesus to be the light, to be the truth, guiding your life. And so part one, where and when Jesus said it. And uh, verse 12 actually starts out by saying, when Jesus spoke again to the people. Do you see that word again in there? Now, that's just saying that Jesus is already in a conversation with this crowd. He had already been speaking to them. And so we have to look back at the context of the whole passage uh, and, and see, you know, where, when did he start doing this? And so the where, the where he said, this is actually quite simple. Back in chapter seven, we learn that Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's in the temple. And you also see at the very end of our passage as well, it says that he's standing in the temple near the treasury. And so that's the where, it's pretty simple where he is when he says it, but it's the when that really sticks out. And the when, he says it, is during something called the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of three festivals that every Jewish man was required to attend every year. And this Festival of Tabernacles is also known as a Festival of Booths, uh, and they called that because everybody would build these kind of temporary shelters to, to sleep in and to hang out in in the evenings. And actually, it's still celebrated today. Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles, the festival was actually just celebrated a couple weeks ago from September 29th through October 6th. So it's a a week long festival and it's a it's a harvest festival where uh, where what you do is you celebrate the bringing in of the summer crops. But it was also a reminder of their past. So it's a reminder of their time when uh, when they didn't have fields when they were wandering for 40 years and they couldn't grow any crops at all. And, and so as a reminder of that. And during this festival, there were two ceremonies, two physical reminders of God's provision during their wandering in the desert. And one of them has to do with water and the other has to do with light. Uh, first is the water and the symbol of water was actually celebrated through this daily ceremony during this festival. And uh, this was commemorating the time when they, uh, they were thirsty. And Moses did a miracle of bringing water out from a rock. And to commemorate that, here's what they did. They had this whole elaborate procession of priests and a choir who went along with them. And they would take this giant golden pitcher and they would go to a spring. And they would fill the golden pitcher with water from the spring. And then they would have this procession go back to the temple. And then they would take the water and they would pour the water out on the altar. Well, the choir sang over and over and over again these words from Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3. Put on the screen. It says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And so as they're walking, as they're getting water, as they're pouring the water, this choir is singing these words over and over again. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then remember, the altar is actually the place where atonement is made. It's the place where the people were saved from their sins. It's where salvation happened. And then, actually, on the last day of the festival, they would make this progression seven times. So all the other days, they would just do it once. And on the last day of the, the festival, they would do the same progression seven times. And all seven times thinking about and meditating on the water that brings salvation. And so I love this in the context of our verse back in John chapter seven. You could put this on the screen too. It says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, in other words, the day when they did it seven times, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Imagine the impact of those words as they're thinking about pouring water and they're singing, with joy you will draw
1: water from the wells of salvation. What Jesus is saying is that the water that you're looking for,
0: the water that you're singing about, the water that comes from God, the water that satisfies, the water that provides you with salvation, If you want that water poured out on the altar of salvation for you, if you want that water poured out on you,
1: or if you want that water flowing from you, he says, come to me. And that's that's just one of the symbols. That's the first symbol celebrated in this festival. This is when Jesus
0: is saying these things and he actually applies that symbol to himself. Now the second symbol is the one in our passage and that's the symbol of light. And so during this Festival of Tabernacles, not only were there the daily water ceremonies, but every night there was a light ceremony. Uh, It's like the parade at Disney every night. You know, there's everyone is there, everyone is gathered, there's pyrotechnics, there's dancing, there's singing, all of that is happening during this evening light ceremony. And the significance of this ceremony also was, uh, there were two reasons for it. One is to say um, that uh, light overcomes darkness. And actually this happens, again this is a fall festival, so it happens around the fall equinox when the days would start to get shorter and shorter and shorter and the darkness of the night would get longer and longer and longer. And so the light ceremony was a way of saying that light overcomes the darkness. But it was also a reminder. Because remember, they're also thinking about their exodus from Egypt and it was a reminder to them of when Israel was wandering for 40 years in the desert that God led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In other words, God led them day by day by day, night by night by night, with light. And so the pillar of light, they always saw that is God's very presence leading and guiding them. So God in their mind is always associated with light. And the way this light ceremony worked, it was, it was sort of like this: that right in the center of this uh, court where it says Jesus was speaking. Uh, inside the temple in Jerusalem, it said there, are four, there there's four massive stands. And on each of those massive stands were four giant golden bowls. So we're talking about 16 huge, giant, like think of the Olympic flame, like that size or bigger. And there's 16 of them, each of them filled with oil. And every night they would light these during the festival. And the ancient historians that wrote about this, they said that all of Jerusalem was illuminated by these. 16 golden bowls of light.
1: You could think of it like it's a pillar of light. And in a world that did not have public lighting after dusk, this
0: light then shined like a pillar of light and then shining off the yellow limestone walls of the temple. It must have been spectacular. And while these huge lamps were being lit, then the historians would say that choirs of priests would sing and everybody would be dancing in the streets. And it was a way of celebrating that God's presence was with them and that God leads them. Now, in contrast to when Jesus offered the living water, which is, again, the high point, the last day of the festival, probably while that water was being poured out. That's the when. But here, when he says this, when he says, I am the light of the world, you'll note that it's the next day. If you look at verse Uh, 12, it's it's the next day. It's the day after the
1: festival is over. And so now the lights are snuffed out. Now the, the 16 golden bowls are empty. And so now the light is missing. And this is the moment when Jesus stands there and he says, I am the light of the world. In other words, what he's saying is these lights might be extinguished, but my light continues
0: to shine. Those lights, they might only illuminate Jerusalem, but I am the light of the world. Now, that's the context, right? That's when and where he says this. But let's zoom in on that particular phrase when he says, I am the light of the world. And so that's part two, what he said. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that that phrase, I am, that in the original language, it's, like, it's an emphatic way of saying, I am. So literally, it's like saying, I am, I am. Uh, it's the words ego and me. Uh, but not only is he being emphatic, he's actually quoting what God said to Moses in Exodus 3.14. When Moses asked God, he says, what's your name, God? What should I tell them that your name is? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that becomes the holy name of God. That's that's actually the name Yahweh. And in the Greek translation of Exodus 3.14, it's translated as ego and me. It looks like this. We can put that up.
1: One more. There we go. Ego and me. I am, I am. It's the very same thing that Jesus says in this passage. I am, I am. And 14 times in the book of John, Jesus uses the same way of
0: describing himself. Ego and me. I am, I am the very sacred name of God itself. And this is one of the ways that Jesus claims to be truth himself, truth in the flesh. Seven of those 14 times that he he says that, he actually takes something that we know and understand, like bread, right? You can hold bread in your hand. Light, you can flip on a light switch and you understand what light is. Or a shepherd, or he talks about a grapevine. And he says, I am. I am bread, I am light, I am a shepherd, Put that another way, he's saying, I
1: am God, Brett. I'm God, light. I am the God, vine. Now, the reason I had the reading
0: today go all the way through verse 20 is because I wanted us to see verse 20. There isn't time for us to address this dialogue that Jesus has with the Pharisees. It's quite complicated, actually. But in verse 20, it's kind of extraordinary. It actually says that after Jesus says, I am the light of the world, they have this little debate Uh, And then it says that they didn't try to seize him. In other words, they didn't try to kill him. That's why they would have seized him, is to kill him.
1: And the implication is that's what they wanted. They wanted to kill him. But why would they want to kill him? Well, it's because of his claim. I am, I am. He applies the holy
0: name of God, Yahweh, to himself. In other words, what he's saying is, he is saying, I am God in the flesh. But then zoom in even further, because look at what he's claiming to be. He's the God who is light. God in the flesh who is light, the light of the world. And last week, he made the claim to be true bread from heaven. And in this passage, he makes the claim to be true light from heaven. So why light? Why, why this picture? Well, the word light is used more than 130 times in the Old Testament in reference to God. And so to say, I am the light of the world, is to double down on the claim to be God because light is so closely associated with God and God's presence. I mean, just think about this. In the ancient account of creation in Genesis chapter one, the very first thing that God creates is light. And then in Daniel chapter two, verse 22, Daniel is, is praying and he says, God, you reveal deep and hidden things. God knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. In Psalm 102, verse four, it says, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. In Psalm 27, one, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In Isaiah 60, verse 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light. In Micah 6, eight, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And that's just five or six of the 130 of those all through the Old Testament. And so Jesus makes the claim to be light. And then when he puts the holy name of God in front of it, Yahweh light, I am who I am, light. He is making the highest claim of all. That he, Jesus Christ, is God, the God who is wrapped in light as with a garment. That light dwells with him, the everlasting light. So what's he getting at by doing this? Why, why is he saying this? What's he getting at? Well, what he's getting at is this. is
1: Are you sick? Are you unwell? Light is what brings life. Jesus
0: is saying, I am the light of life. I'm the great physician. And to have me at the center of your life is to have hope for healing. Even if you're not healed in this life,
1: you will be completely healed in the next what he's also getting at is this is, do you, do you feel depression? Do you feel anxiety? Well, light brings joy. Jesus is saying, to have me in your life at the very center of your life is actually to bring joy into your life." Now here's what else he's getting at. Do you feel lost? No sense of what is true anymore. Seeking your identity, trying to find who am I in some way, your identity. Well, light brings truth. And Jesus is saying to have me at the very center of your life is to have actual truth, an actual foundation. Here's more of what he's getting at. Do you feel alone? Lonely? Light brings friendship, it brings fellowship means you can see somebody else's face. And so Jesus is saying, to have me at the very center of your life is to never be alone again. Have you seen the power of this metaphor? It's not only a powerful metaphor, but it really
0: is a claim to truth. Because remember where and when he's saying this. Think of the power of this statement. He is standing in the center of the temple courts, standing in the place where every year these people see and they stand in front of the brightest light they will ever see in their lives. In other words, the brightest light in the world.
1: And then when it's snuffed out, Jesus stands there and he says, I am, I am. I am the light of the world. And there is no light brighter than me.
0: And just think with me for a minute, what is the brightest light in your life? In other words, what is your life centered around? Career, health, good looks, reputation, influence, relationship
1: status, family? Let me ask this question a different way. Where do you get your identity? How do you know who you are? And whatever the answer to that question, that is the light of your life. However you answer that question, that's your foundational truth.
0: But think about any of the things I mentioned before, career, health, good looks, reputation, influence, relationship status, even family.
1: Every single one of those lights can be extinguished in a moment. But Jesus Christ, when he said, I am, I am, he's making a truth claim.
0: He's making a claim to divinity, that he is the eternal one. In other words, when he says, I am am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the only light that can never be extinguished. And so to make him the center of your life, to make him the light of your life is to have an eternal light guiding you, giving you your identity.
1: Which leads us then to part three, the why. Why did Jesus say it? Well, look again at our verse. He says, I am the light of the world,
0: Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have you ever tried to travel in total darkness or to try to walk in total darkness? Uh, it's almost impossible. A number of years ago, I, uh, I wanted to get to go uh, from San Diego to uh, Las Vegas for, it's very nerdy, but uh, like a bicycling convention. And uh, some friends of mine were at the same time trained to be pilots. And so I was telling them, like, oh, I'm kind of interested in going to this thing in Las Vegas. They're like, do you want us to fly you? And I was like, uh, is that safe? Is that cool? And they're like, it's totally safe, it's totally cool. Uh, he goes, but, I, but we are gonna have to like, bring our friend who knows how to fly at night because that's like a whole other thing. And I was like, all right, how much is it gonna cost me? And they're like, I don't know, just give us a hundred bucks or something. I'm like, okay, great. So we fly to Las Vegas, we, I go to the bicycle show and, uh, and then we're flying back, and it's that evening. And uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about this. And uh, so we get in the plane, and it's totally dark. But, you know, when you're near the city, it's still pretty bright. Like, you can still see stuff. But then as we get further and further out into the desert, you look out the window, and you
1: can see nothing. Absolutely nothing. There is no light at all. You could not fly by sight. And so this is why my friend's like, I got to bring my friend
0: who knows how to fly at night because the only way you can fly in the darkness is just by the instruments.
1: That's the only way you know you're not headed straight into the ground. In other words, the instruments were the pilot's light. They were the light of life for us. Or think about this in, in another way. Remember what happens in the cave when the lights are out? There's no light, it's utter darkness. And that darkness leads to death and deception and depression and discord. But Jesus came, the reason that he came, the why, why did he come? Why is he the light of the
0: world? What does he say? It's so that we will never walk in darkness. And that word there for walk in our verse, and Uh, all through the New Testament, the word for walk is almost always a metaphor for life.
1: In other words, whoever follows Jesus is saying, will not live in darkness. And when you're in darkness, I mean, just, if you're like me, when you're in darkness, doesn't it feel like that darkness is now your whole life? Right? You lost your job, and doesn't it feel like your whole life is over? Money is tight. You're not sure you're going to make rent and doesn't it feel like your whole life
0: is over or they break up with you or you have a huge fight with your spouse or you're sick or your kids are sick and when that happens, doesn't it feel like that's your life? Every time that I get sick, I think to myself, well, this is it now. This is how
1: I feel. Whatever the darkness we're walking in, doesn't it always feel like that's our life? Like life is over now? And so what do we need to do? Well, what does our verse say? Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk
0: or live in darkness and instead will have the light of life. Which means that no matter the darkness we might be facing, the the person who follows Jesus will
1: always have light. The light that is life, the light that is truth, the light that is joy, the light that brings friendship.
0: The light that says, no, our lives are not over. And so what do we need to do? What we need to do, Jesus says, is to follow him. And for some of you, that means to begin to follow him for the first time. Now, to follow anyone actually means to humble yourself, right? Like if you're going to follow somebody else's lead, it means you're not the one leading. They are. So you have to humble yourself. And so the same is true of Jesus. You can't come to Jesus proud, Because pride says that I'm without sin. Pride says I'm good enough. Pride says look at all the good things that I've done. Look at all the good
1: things that I could do. But humility says to God, God, I've rejected you. I've gone my own way. I've tried to make my
0: own light. I've made all kinds of other things the light of my life. My career or money or relationship status or influence. I've made that the light of my life. I've centered my life around those
1: things. But humility says, but today, God, I confess all that, all of that. And I want to make you the center of my life. I want to make you the light of my life. That's what humility is.
0: Um, at another point, the Apostle John, who wrote this account of Jesus' life that we're looking at, he also wrote these words, and they were referenced earlier. And we could put these on the screen, too. It's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. And here's one of those references to light. It says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin.
1: If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, pride. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins... Humble ourselves. He is
0: faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so if we humble ourselves, if we confess our sins, specifically the sin of rejecting God by making anything other than God the light of our lives, that if we confess that, if we humble ourselves, then God will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And don't you want that?
1: Don't you want that light in your life? that light that never goes out to guide you, to lead you, to purify you. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is what he means.
0: Now, this statement of Jesus is not only about becoming a Christian, it's actually also how we live as a Christian. And so to follow Jesus is to have the light of life. It's actually, this is how a person becomes spiritually mature. And if you were here with us in September and the start of October, you know that it's pretty much, that's pretty much all we talked about for about six weeks is how do we become spiritually mature? And, well, here's
1: that theme again. Because look at the words that are in here. Look at the word follow. Look at the word walk. These are words of progression, of movement. Remember, that word walk is a metaphor for life.
0: And so what's this getting at? Well, it's getting at the, the idea that spiritual maturity is a daily, a day-by-day, week-by-week, month-after-month, year-after-year progression. And this is talking about day-by-day spirituality. It's talking about the long obedience in the same direction. It's talking about the well-worn path, all those different images that we've used. In fact, the word follow that John uses here, it was actually used in the ancient world to talk about a number of things. Uh, One of those ways... Uh, if you're going to use the word follow, you might use it to talk about a soldier following his commander on a long march into battle. The soldier follows his commander wherever the commander goes. And so the Christian is like the soldier whose commander is Christ. Another way the word follow was used was to talk about taking the advice of an older, wiser counselor. And so a person goes to this older, wiser, more experienced person and says, What should I do? And if after they get the advice, the person goes and does the advice, then they would say that person followed the advice. It was also used of following the law. So if, somebody, if there was a law that said do this, don't do that, and somebody didn't do this and did do that, followed the law, did that, they'd say you followed. There's also the idea of learning a new skill from a teacher. A teacher taught you the skill of how to do something. If you go and do it, then the word that they would use is that you followed the teaching. And so in other words, to follow or to be a follower of Christ is to daily take his advice. To daily go where he is going.
1: To obey his word, to take his teaching all the way into our lives. That's what it is to have the light of Christ.
0: And the two most obvious ways to do that are to be with his church and to read and to apply his word. Now we kind of skimmed over it already, but in those verses in 1 John chapter 1, Uh, Do you remember where it says uh, that to be in the light is to have fellowship with, not only with Christ, but with one another. In other words, to be with one another in the church. And so being with the church when we gather weekly on Sundays and, uh, and in the middle of the week for Bible study and getting together throughout the week for meals and praying together and encouraging each other, that's what it is to be in the light so that's one way of being in the light, one way of following Jesus. But the, the other way to follow Christ daily is to read his word and apply it. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And look at me when I say this. I cannot say this more.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know the word. I can't say it. It's not, there's nothing more important than I could tell you this morning. if you want the light of Christ in your life every single day, the way to have that is to be in his word. I cannot give you any other way to spend time reading and applying God's word. And if you're not doing that,
0: if that's not part of your life, then you are missing the light. You are walking in darkness.
1: You have no light for your path. That is what God has given to us. Now, if you want help with that, we're,
0: we are going through a day-by-day devotional as a church. If you don't have one, let us know. I, will, I made the commitment a couple weeks ago that I would drive it to you, and then Nelson said, could you bring me one? And he lives in, like, Riverside. And so I will almost certainly drive it to you, unless you live in Orange County or something. Um if you don't have
1: one, just write devotional on your contact card, and I I will bring you one. I'll deliver it to your house. That's how important I think this is. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and if we're not in it, we don't have the light. And so, I love this metaphor. Jesus says, I am, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the eternal,
0: never to be extinguished light that brings true life brings real truth, brings joy, brings friendship. And what could be better than following him day by day, week by week, month after month, for year after
1: year, the light of the world giving us the light of life? Let's pray. Father, we, we want so badly to have this light in our lives. that we would make you the center of our lives, that you would be the light of life, that our whole lives would be centered around you. And Lord, we don't have time to talk about this, but actually the implication of that is that light then flows out of us into other people. And so Lord, as we receive the light from you, may we also give that light to everyone around us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.